Hi, this is Tom Field, Editorial Director with Information Security Media Group. We're talking today with Melinda Love, the new Director of the Office of Examination and Insurance for the NCUA. Melinda, thanks for joining me, and congratulations. Thank you very much, Tom. What can you tell us a bit about yourself and your background? Um, I started with NCUA back in um, 1986, worked my way up from being an examiner in the field um, through working in our regional office as an analyst, working as a problem case officer, um, and then working into management as a supervisory examiner over a group of examiners, and then as the deputy director in our office of examination insurance dealing with policy issues. Um, then I became the agency's deputy executive director where I got to deal more with the internal workings of the agency. Um, and then I became a regional director first in Chicago, covering seven Midwestern states, and now out in Tempe, Arizona, covering the 13 Western states plus Guam. Now, what can you tell us about this new role that you're about to fill and sort of the expectations for it? Um, the new role, the director of the Office of Examination Insurance, is basically the agency's chief examiner. Uh, we look at, you know, establishing policies, uh, work with the board on regu regulatory items, um, changing regulations, updating them. Um, we also have the risk management office that works with our um, surveillance systems and um, oversees the supervision um, decisions on our more complex cases um, that uh, out in the in the regions, um, we establish examination processes and procedures. Uh, work closely with uh, training of examiners. Um, so, kind of you know the national view of of the entire program. Melinda, stepping into this role, what do you see as the immediate tasks that you have to tend to? Um, well, certainly you know coming up to speed with you know parts of the operation that I was not aware of since I'm, you know, basically a regional director in one region, there are four other regions with issues going on that I'll need to come up to speed on fairly rapidly. Um, given the types of things going on in the economy, um, certainly looking at what's on, um, you know, our, our project list, how we're moving forward to um, help our examiners do their jobs um, better, you know, providing um, high quality in this very tough times, um, that's going to be one of the first parts of it. The good thing is I've, I've been in the Office of Examination and Insurance before, um, so I understand how it operates. I know most of the staff there, um, but anytime you get a new director, a new change, you know, at the top, you're really kind of um, massaging, polishing that corporate culture, it, it can have a, a definite change. So one of the things I have to do is bring the staff together in basically a new cohesive whole, um, you know, under my particular management style. Um, and then, you know, we'll be able to go on from there. If you bring them all up to Tempe, that would be a good start. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't think we can do that. Now, Melinda, you mentioned the economy, and that certainly is the challenge for all of us. What do you see as being some of the unique challenges in this new role you're filling? Um, I think the biggest challenge is going to be dealing with immediate problems and issues that are on the table, 
but at the same time, building the types of examination tools we need for the future. So it's like you have to deal both in, you know, the immediate, um, this is what we got to do, you know, today, and we've got, you know, this big problem blooming, we've got to deal with this right now, but also be able to have staff looking out and developing, you know, the type of infrastructure issues we need for the changing demographics in our examiner core. Um, so I, I think that's going to be the biggest challenge is to be able to do both of those things simultaneously. Well, that's interesting. Can you tell us a little bit about these changing demographics? That's the first time I've heard that articulated. Yeah, we have, um, you know, we, like many government organizations, you know, we've had staff that has been around for a long time, a great deal of experience in our staff. And over the last five years or so, um, you know, our we, we've gone through a retirement wave where we've had, you know, a number of staff leave. An example of that, when we opened this regional office, we lost 14 of the people that were in the Concord regional office and did not want to relocate on the same day, um, 14 experienced analysts and managers. Um, so as we've you know, basically gone forward the last five years or so, um, we've been losing more and more of that experience, you know, like all government agencies. Um, we have a lot of people now that are eligible for retirement. And so we've been, you know, bringing newer people on. Our jobs tend to be ones where you, you know, accrete skills and knowledge over time. Um, we're very much a knowledge-based organization. So as we're, you know, as our percentage of, of folks with um, less than five years experience um, increases, we have to kind of change the way we've done you know, that our examination program is set up, change the way our reference systems are set up um, for people that will have less, you know, maybe experience in terms of time, but are having to deal with the same issues. Um, so I, I think that's one of the challenges we've got is as we're, you know, basically um, walking through the swamp and trying to stay away from the alligators, we also have to figure out a way to drain it. Um, and and um, and a lot of that is being driven by the fact that we will have people um, that are will be dealing with our problems that may not you know have seen the same problem you know 30 times over the last 20 years um, that may have only seen it once or twice before. Um, so we have to build systems that assist them in walking through the process. Um, to ensure that the quality of the work we do stays the same. No, that makes sense. Now, I hear a lot of the banking regulators bringing on additional examination staff now. Is that true of the NCOA as well? Yes, it is. Um, we actually, uh, we were on an 18-month examination cycle with the changes in the economy and um, the stressors on credit unions. We've shortened that cycle up um, so that we can be in more frequently um, to assist them in developing, you know, corrective action plans, uh, trying to get uh, ahead of problems as much as we can. Um, so with um, with that change in cycle, uh, we, we basically budget down to the hour for our examiners. Um, so we had to add staff for that. And I want to say we added 45 FTEs nationally for that program. Right. Um, so, you know, we added staff there. What we've tried to do is we've filled those positions is we've tried to entice back, you know, 
um, some examiner staff that had left and gone elsewhere, mm-hmm. um, just to show that we, you know, aren't bringing on all totally new people. Um, and we've actually been very lucky in this region, you know, as we've filled positions, we've, we've you know, been able to get some really talented people over the last few years um, into the agency uh, with a lot of really good skill sets. And we just now need to, you know, bring them up to speed on, on the credit union piece of it. Now, Melinda, what would you say are the unique capabilities that you bring to the job? Um, well, I, my experience is, uh, you know, having, having worked in um, the Office of Examination Insurance, having worked in how the agency runs through the, de- through the Deputy Executive Director position, and then the two regions I've been the Regional Director of, one of them had primarily small credit unions, and one has primarily large credit unions. Um, and so I think all that gives me a, a different perspective um, than somebody who maybe only worked in one type of region or that didn't have that central office background. Um, I think one of the things that's maybe a little bit different about me, um, I think I bring to the table the ability to look both big picture um, and see the big picture and think in terms, think strategically, think in terms of alternatives, and then to turn around and put that into detailed action plans so that you end up, you know, driving the action plan um, and, you know, biting the big stuff off in little tiny chunks um, that are much more palatable. So I, I think I have that ability to be both big picture and task-oriented um, at the same time. Um, I also tend to be a fairly creative person. Um, you know, I'm, I'm one of those people that uses different colors, you know, has a calendar that's color-coded. Um, so I, I tend to be a little bit more creative. I have, you know, if you do a Myers-Briggs personality type, I have a, a different type of personality than a lot of government employees. And so I think I bring that to the table as well. Very good. I'd like to ask you just about sort of the credit union landscape in general. We hear a lot in this economy that the credit unions stand to, to grow and to benefit from people that might be fleeing some of the banks because of what they've seen or their their just lack of consumer confidence. What do you see as credit unions' real opportunities as well as their threats right now in this economic landscape? Well, I, I do think they have the opportunity. Since they are more, um, you know, member-centered, member-friendly, um, I do think they have the opportunity to bring more people into the credit union movement, um, hopefully bring younger people into the credit union movement as well, um, because one of the things we've seen is kind of in uh, many credit union leagues, um, trade associations have talked about the aging of the credit union member and so trying to attract younger members in. I, I do think there's the opportunity to do that. Um, what we would tell credit unions is they need to do that on a very measured basis, um, you know, growing exponentially uh, in these troubled times is probably not a, a smart thing to do, um, but having that steady membership growth, you know, and having it be real members, not um, somebody that's going to be there for a car loan and may not even realize they belong to a credit union, mm. but rather somebody that's going to use multiple services at the credit union. Um, and and really become you know one of those 
um, members um, that you can develop some sort of loyal base with, um, I, I certainly see as an opportunity for them. Um, I, they may be able to expand some of their loan programs, although you know this may not be the best time to do that. Um, but certainly, again, since they are more member-centered, um, they may be able to assist people that are having problems elsewhere. Um, of course, that's also one of the threats that faces them, too, is if they do um, too much, you know, too much of a good thing, um, even if it's an altruistic good thing, uh, could end up uh, hurting a credit union. I, I think one of the biggest things we're working with credit unions right now is to understand the levels of risk in their real estate portfolios, especially out here in the West where we've had um, such incredible declines in real estate values. Um, and just, you know, trying trying to make sure that credit unions really know what they have on their balance sheet so that they can make good management decisions um, going forward on those things. Um, you know, they can look at, if they're doing loan modifications, how much of a certain type of loan modification can we do safely within the net worth capital structure of the credit union. Um, you know, if, if we do too much of this, for an example, if we take all of these 15-year loans and now make them 40-year loans, you know, we may have fixed the credit risk problem, but we may have just given ourselves an interest rate risk heart attack waiting to happen. Sure. Um, so trying to balance those things, I think, is really critical. Um, and, you know, as as... As with anything, uh, times change and member expectations change and member needs change. And one of the one of the difficulties for credit unions, since they tend to operate on a much um, narrower margin, the ability to build infrastructure um, to adapt to the new member requirements and needs, um, you know, can can sometimes really um, stretch them. And so I think that's one of the, the other issues they have to come to grips with is how do they build an infrastructure since, you know, it's a fairly sizable commitment of capital. How do you build an infrastructure that is adaptable and nimble enough to deal with changing member expectations, you know, towards the future? Um, I, I think that's so, so that they can remain relevant um, long term. I think their ability to remain relevant is, is one of the biggest threats that faces them. So it strikes me that you're looking, at, on one hand, to attract young people, young people who are looking for a good banking experience. Their expectations often are going to be electronic and mobile banking. So is that one of the areas you're talking about of investment that you've got to be prepared to do? Yes. Yeah. Yes, I think so. I think so. And understanding that, you know, it, it can it can change. I mean, the mobile banking is, is what we know today, but 10 years from now, it might be something different. And so if you've done too heavy an investment into one type of delivery system, you may not be able to adapt 10 years from now when a different delivery system is what, um, you know, is what members are expecting. Belinda, 10 weeks from now, it could be different. <laughs> I know, I know. Now, last year, vendor management was certainly a, a resonant theme in what the NCOA was, was telling the credit unions to expect from their examinations. What are going to be the key areas of regulatory compliance that examiners are stressing in 2009? I think we're still going to see a lot of emphasis on due diligence um, with vendors, with 
you know, products and services and delivery systems. Um, looking at real estate portfolios, um, certainly we're going to see a lot of emphasis on that. Um, since we are having economic issues throughout the country, not just the places that are hard hit with the, the real estate declines, um, you know, increases in unemployment, um, certainly looking at credit unions' risk management systems, looking at their ability to um, control delinquencies, looking at their collection activities, um, I think those will be high on the list. Um, I think one of the things we'll be looking at as well is, you know, the, the strategic approach credit unions are taking. You know, are they trying to expand portfolios at this point in time? And if they do, do they have a solid strategy to do that? Um, not that we think they necessarily need to contract, but, you know, they need to make sure they're making um, smart decisions um, in this kind of turbulent economic climate. Um, and, you know, the the business as usual, you know, over the last 10 years is, is not the business as usual going forward. Um, and so I think helping credit union management teams come to understand that, especially ones that may not have been hit yet, but where it's on the horizon, um, I think those are going to be some of the key things we do this year. Now, it's been about four months since examiners have been out meeting with federal credit unions, at least, about identity theft red flags rule compliance. What can you tell us? Uh, how are credit unions doing in complying with the red flags rule? Um, we actually, at least in this region, haven't pulled together any general statistics. Um, so I can't tell you, you know, this many these many credit unions are in compliance or not at this point in time. Um, as with any you know, new regulation, new rules that go into effect, we kind of do a multi-step process. Um, our first contacts with credit unions are really geared more towards education, um, you know, walking through with them what the requirements are, what the expectations are, making sure that they've got the systems, that they're getting up to speed. Um, and then our next contact, you know, we start looking more at enforcement. Um, so we're definitely working in that education process still at this point in time, making sure that all the credit unions understand what it is they need to do and putting action plans into place with them um, to make sure that they get up to speed. But as far as, you know, I, I don't really have any statistics at this point in time as to how many are in compliance or not. Is this something you think that you're going to pay significant attention to over the, the course of the next several months? I'm just wondering, by the time you get to November 1st and it's a year, is there a certain place you want to be or certain metrics you want to be looking at by then? Um, I think this is, you know, this is one of those things that is a critical issue for credit unions to protect their members. Um, so I, I don't think we'll have the level of resistance to compliance with this that we might have, you know, compliance with some of our other rules right? Um, because credit unions are, are member-centric. Um, since I haven't been in the E&I position yet, my, I'm not effective until March 16th, um, I don't know what national statistics they're gathering and what national metrics they've set up there um, as yet. Um, I know we're, you know, like I said, in that training contact phase um, out here, and we should have made those initial contacts 
um, yeah, at least we should have all of those initial contacts made, I think, by the third, the end of the third quarter, um, just because we will have, you know, run through the cycle by that point in time. Right. So as you get a little bit of time before you start in your new role, what should the credit unions know about you and the job you're going to be doing? Um, I'm a big believer in dialogue. Um, I think talking with folks about issues, um, listening to them, you know, um, I think that's really critical. Um, I think it's critical internal to NCUA, you know, that I have dialogue with, you know, examiners and managers throughout the country. I think it's critical to have that kind of dialogue with credit unions. Um, some of the things, you know, we do here, um, an example, if a credit union has an issue and they want to come in and talk to us, we make the time, you know, to sit down and meet with them and just chat about, you know, either where they want to go strategically or, um, you know, if it's a supervision issue. Um, so I, I think credit unions need to know that I'm I'm open, you know, to to talking with them, to hearing what's on their mind, um, to hearing if they've got alternatives, because I certainly don't believe that, you know, we have all the answers. Um, and... Um, that's that's probably the biggest thing they need to know about me is, is I'm I'm one that likes to um, listen to what people have to say and act accordingly. Um, I'm also very much a fact-based decision maker. Um, you know, I don't do things just based on my gut. Um, you know, I I pretty much require all my staff when we're looking at decisions to you know build me the business case and then we'll make the decision from there. Um, so those those are probably the two biggest things. Very good. Well, Melinda, I appreciate your time and your insight today, and I wish you luck in your new role. Okay. Thank you, Tom. I appreciate it. We've been talking with Melinda Love, Director of the Office of Examination Insurance with the NCUA. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tom Field. Thank you very much.